starting at verse 11. I love technology, but every once in a while I still miss the sound of the rustling pages. It's not an indictment because I use the digital Bible too. And as far as I know, we can still make it to heaven with the digital Bible. I'm just saying, I just missed that. Now next Sunday, somebody's going to bring a book just to move the pages for me. Second Kings chapter 3, verse 11, it says, But King Jehoshaphat of Judah asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. One of King Joram's officers replied, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. Jehoshaphat said, yes, the Lord speaks through him. So the king of Israel, King Jehoshaphat of Judah, and the king of Edom went to consult with Elisha. Why are you coming to me, Elisha, asked the king of Israel. Go to the pagan prophets of your father and mother. Well, must be some backstory there. But King Joram of Israel said, no. It was the Lord who called us three kings here only to be defeated by the king of Moab. Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Now bring me someone who can play the harp. While the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. This morning, I want to speak this title, The Why of How We Worship. The Why of How We we worship. Jesus, thank you so much for what you've done hearing about Sarah and her situation. And, and God, you've done so many things like that for us, Lord, that we don't worship you just because of what you do for us, though we worship you because of who you are, Jesus. And so we're just grateful that you occasionally will, will step in and do miraculous things in our lives. And we're so thankful for that. And Jesus, just Prepare our hearts and minds. I believe you already have, but that we'd continue to just have open hearts and minds for what you're going to say here in the next few moments through me. Anoint me, Jesus, in your name. Amen. In the beginning of the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, the prophet Elijah had just been translated, taken into heaven in a chariot of fire without seeing death. And wicked King Ahab and his wife Jezebel we're now dead and gone, and Israel was a divided kingdom. So the nation of Israel, there's the northern kingdom, which is uh, Israel, and then the southern kingdom, which is Judah. And so each kingdom of Israel, the north and the south, each had their own king. The northern kingdom had Ahab, wicked king Ahab's son, Joram, as their king. He wasn't quite as evil as his father and mother, but he still was not living righteously. The southern kingdom had a king named Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat made some really good decisions, and he made his share of bad decisions, probably, you know, similar to us, right? We make some good ones, some bad ones. Well, Elisha says the fact that he, obviously, Jehoshaphat found some favor with God because we see in the passage, Elisha says, the only reason I'm even talking to you is because of my respect for King Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. So our opening passage comes in at a time when Joram had just reached out to Jehoshaphat, even though they're a divided kingdom, they had a common enemy, the Moabites. And so uh, Joram's like, hey, I probably can't take them by myself. They're a common enemy, Jehoshaphat. Why don't we team up and we'll both take them on together, right? 
And so scripture tells us that both of their armies started marching through the wilderness. But I'm not sure that they completely thought this through. They figured that if they went the southern route through the wilderness, that they would avoid Moabite fortifications. But what they may not have thought about, either they didn't think about it, or the trip took longer than it, 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 they anticipated, right? Kind of like a remodel project. Uh-huh. Amen. I'll take two weeks, six weeks later, you're like, oh God, I think I'm almost there. You know, you're like, that'll be $2,000, $9,000 later. You're like, well, right. But they, they, they did not think about the fact that, hey, we're going to avoid Moabite fortification. We're going to go through the wilderness, but we got a whole bunch of men and animals. And guess what you don't find a lot of in the wilderness, in the desert? Water. There's not a whole lot of water in the desert. And so a seven-day trek through the desert where water is scarce, it became an extremely dangerous predicament. Why was water scarce? Well, in the Old Testament, water was a sign of blessing from the gods. And even Yahweh, the Old Testament God, the Lord, would sometimes withhold rain as punishment for his people's disobedience. And 2 Kings 3.11 says, but King Jehoshaphat says, is there no prophet in, of the Lord with us. Why did he say that? Because the allied army is on this seven-day trek, and there's no water. They realize that we're going to die. We're in trouble. Things are, there's all kinds of issues. What are we going to do? We got this enemy, but yet we're going to die not even of the enemy. We're going to die. We don't even get to fight the enemy. And that's where Jehoshaphat says, hey, guys, wait a second. There's got to be a king. There's got to be a prophet. There's got to be a voice of God somewhere. And it dawns on someone that he says, if we can ask the Lord what to do through him. And one of King Joram's officers says, hey, wait. Hey, I got an idea. Elisha, the son of Shaphat's here, he used to be Elijah's personal assistant. Well, everybody knew Elijah. Joram definitely knew Elijah because Elijah was like the arch nemesis of his mom and dad, Ahab and Jezebel. And Elijah, I mean, he did a lot of impressive things. Elijah's the one that caused the prophets on Mount Carmel. He's the one that says it's going to rain and literally outruns the chariot to get back to the city. There was a lot of stuff. So he was no doubt infamous or famous, depending on which God you served back then. And so his, his personal assistant says, hey, yeah, Elisha. And Jehoshaphat, he obviously knew Elisha. He goes, yes, the Lord speaks through him. I hope it's said of us as men and women of God that, oh, yeah, God speaks through them. So the king of Israel and King Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom, they went to consult Elisha. But Elijah, Elisha knows that these people aren't living right or adhering to God's principles and commands he knows they're not right, so look how he responds to them. A kind of, kind of tense, kind of terse. He just says, why are you coming to me? Go to the pagan prophets of your father and mother. It's interesting and a little bit sad that sometimes people will only turn to God when they're really going through something. But King Joram of Israel said, no, 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 for it was the Lord who called us three kings only to be defeated by the king of Moab. So it's at this point after the end of our opening passage, that the entire story shifts. And when you read on through the rest of the chapter, by the end of the chapter, Moab is completely and utterly destroyed. That would not have happened if they did not hearken to the voice of God. If they, if they did not say, I want to hear God's voice for my situation. 
The allied army of God destroyed the Moabite town, the towns, the trees, the entire army. This is where we could just wrap up the message and say, so praise God. All right, say it. Praise God. Because that seems to work better, right? Praise God does not work as praise God. And so that's where we could wrap up and say, if you serve God, he will provide. God can do miracles. He can pr pr defeat our enemies. But something extremely important happened before the actual battle started. I'm not here to talk about the battle. We read by the end of the chapter, the battle, Israel, the allied armies, the forces of the Lord, Judah, they win. Moab's destroyed. But before the battle starts... Before they went into the enemy camp, before the swords came out and the arrows started flying, look at the very first thing. You might say, well, yeah, they went to the man of God, or yeah, they looked for God's voice in their life. But look at the very first thing Elisha does when he intends to hear from God for the battle. 2 Kings 13, 15, he says, now, Elisha says, bring me someone who can play the harp. And while the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. Before the battle ever took place, there first was a time of worship. How often do we think we can just run right into our battles, that we can just go deal with the issue, go fight the enemy, and we minimize the power that comes along with pausing to first worship. Before I go and fight, before I go, oh, I'm going to take dominion and authority. Oh, I'm going to go out and do. No, no, let's just pause before we do anything else and say, God, I just want to get the music going and I just want to worship you before I go another step. It was music that stimulated the prophetic spirit of that prophet. It was music that invited the power of God to manifest itself in that place. It was music that paved the way for God's will to be done in humankind. And the harp was obviously one of those instruments in the Old Testament. You could walk with it. You could play. It was, it was small, easily carried. You could play as you walked. It was, it was through worship that God would use someone like David in the Old Testament, the harp. We don't have a harp. I've never been in a Pentecostal church that had a harp. Does anybody know someone that plays the harp? I mean, that's all right. We got two people. That's awesome. Get them in church, okay? So, but worship that God would use people like even David in the Old Testament. First Samuel 16, 22, Saul, the, the king before David, Saul, would, would, he sent word to Jesse, Jesse's David's dad, and he said, please let David remain in my service, for I'm very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit, 
It wasn't a tormenting spirit. It was the tormenting spirit that came upon Saul. There was obviously something in the demonic realm that would try to attach itself to his position, his life, his walk, whatever it is, that this tormenting spirit would, from, uh, uh, that from, from God troubled Saul. And so that's even more confusing because it says the tormenting spirit from God. God was obviously trying to align Saul back into where he needed to be. He wanted Saul to return to the, the first fruits of why God called him in the first place. And so the tormenting spirit came, and David would go in, and what would he do? Play the harp. Play the harp. I think this is how you play the harp. I don't know. <laughs> you play the harp. I don't know. It's harder with a microphone. I'm just going to pretend you play like this. <laughs> And Saul would feel better. The tormenting spirit would go away. That'll tell you something right there. Scripture says it was the tormenting spirit from God. And the only way that the tormenting spirit would go away would be through worship. Sometimes what you're feeling, the devil's attacking me. What kind of demonic spirit is this? Sometimes that's God trying to get you to a place of worship. And the only way that that tormenting spirit will leave will be in worship. That's the response that God is trying to ignite out of his people. But too often, though, Saul was probably so focused on the issues and the problems that he would not return to the worship that he used to live. This young man, though, David would walk in and the spirit and the spirit would, that tormenting spirit would leave. He would start playing that harp and driving away those spirits and taking dominion. Why? Because when an anointed young person begins to sing and play with a heart of worship, demons have to flee. And after David became king, he appointed musicians to minister in the house of the Lord because he fully understood the role that music played in worship. First Chronicles 6.31, David assigned the following men to lead music in the house of the Lord after the ark, the ark of the covenant. That was the place where God said, I will, between the wings of the cherubims, I will meet with my people. I will dwell in that spot. So that was literally where the fullness of God would gather between the wings of the cherubim. And he says, you know what? After the ark was placed there, they ministered with music at the tabernacle until Solomon built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They carried out their work following all the regulations handed down to them. David sets up worshipers that would surround that ark. Later, David appointed singers, psaltery players, harpists, and symbolists to, to praise God before that Ark of the Covenant. In 1 Chronicles 15, 15, it says, Then the Levites carried the Ark of God on their shoulders with its carrying poles, just as God instructed Moses. And David also ordered the Levite leaders to appoint a choir of Levites who were singers and musicians to sing joyful songs to the accompaniment of harps, lyres, and, 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 and lyres and, and cymbals. And so that he, David would appoint these people. Why? Because worship was so crucial. Before they went anywhere, they first had to worship. Amen. 
That's why in the Old Testament, one of the times when they lost the Ark of the Covenant, they went into a battle with Art the Ark, and then they started losing. And somebody said, literally, go fetch the Ark. Oh, yeah, yeah, grab that thing that helps us win. And so they went and grabbed the Ark, and they lost the Ark that day. Why? Because God did not want them to enter battles and think about God second. That God wanted them to worship first and then enter the battle. Why would David go through so much trouble of training people and appointing people and putting people there? I mean, Levites, couldn't they have done something better? Uh, I mean, I wonder if he ever faced any backlash, David, uh, King, sir. Uh, they're busy. They're doing temple duties. They're getting, they're, they're getting the, the lampstand ready. They're cleaning. They're doing this. They're, they're, they got sacrifices. I mean, tons that they, they're, 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 their schedule's so full. You, we don't really have time to do a choir right now. A choir, hey, Levites, it's choir time. It's choir practice. Uh, we got so much going on. We got to go to choir practice. Why would David go through so much trouble? Because he understood that music played a critical and a crucial role in worship. Listen, you can worship without music. You can listen to and play music without worship. But when played with the right spirit and mindset, there are not too many things more powerful than an anointed musician and group of singers leading God's people into a time of focused worship. The way our praise team up here, the way they play and practice and lead, that's not by accident. That's not out of tradition. I've been to a Pentecostal church. They're the ones that go crazy when they play music. Oh, so we just need to do that because that's the tradition of being Pentecostal. We don't do that. If you, if you haven't hung around here long enough, you'll learn this. We do have traditions, but every tradition that we have is based on Scripture. We do, we do not say, oh, well, we just do that because our forefathers did it, and that's the way they told us to do it in the church age and blah, blah, blah. No, everything has a Scripture line and verse. That's what we aim to do is follow the Word of God. And so what we do when we get a group of people playing and singing and leading us into worship, it's not done out of tradition. It's a biblical blueprint, a time of singing and worship that leads us into victory, into the presence of God. God. And guess what? We should be worshiping and singing as entire families. I sometimes hear people say they wish, oh, we wish we had Sunday school for the, the, the kids the whole time. You know, that means that right now that they would have been downstairs the whole time. And then the teachers are like, thank the Lord that we're up here. Or children's church on Wednesday nights for the whole time. I get it. Kids get bored. I'm sure there are kids right now that are not listening to a word I'm saying. I understand that. There might be some adults too, but I'm just going to focus on the kids. <laughs> but it can be hard to sit still, but there's something about children seeing their parents with hands raised singing a song unto God Almighty. When kids walk up and they see their mom just dancing before the Lord, they see their dad's fist pumping as he's worshiping God, that they see their dad, even if he sings off key, and he might say, oh, dad, but he's going, glory to God, and he's singing out. There's something about a child seeing their parent worshiping God, hearing them sing, watching their parents play a music, musical instrument or singing on a praise team. 
In David's time, there were 4,000 musicians, including 288 highly trained and skilled in song. First Chronicles 25, 6 says, All these men were under the direction of their fathers as they made music at the house of the Lord. Their responsibilities included playing cymbals, harps, and lyres in, in, at the house of God. Asaph, Jeduthun, and, and Heman reported directly to the king. They and their families... They and their families were all trained in making music before the Lord. And each of them, 288 in all, were, was an accomplished musician. The musicians were appointed to their term of service by means of sacred lots without regard to whether they were young or old. There's a reason why on Family Wednesday, the second Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday, that at 625, we have people come up here that might not be quite as experienced as the praise team, but how in the world are they going to get that experience? And they, they, I want to see. I, I can't wait. My wife and different people and Sister Tanya will be up here, and we'll still put our drummers. I can't wait until the drums, the bass, the praise singers, the worship leader, the keyboard player are all between the age of 12 and 15, 12 and 16. They need to have a service where they understand that they're leading us. They're not performing. They're leading us into a time of worship where kids at a young age are knowing I'm playing a vital role in this church, in this service, because scripturally families did it without regard whether they were young or whether they were old. And they were accomplished musicians. I don't think that it always has to be the most accomplished musicians should be in the Kansas City Symphony Orchestra or should be on Broadway plays. Let's get them in apostolic Pentecostal churches leading, using gifts and talents to pave the way for God's spirit to operate in the lives and hearts and minds of people. I don't want to get to the place, and there's nothing wrong. I played sports all my life, but let's not get to the place where we're so busy running our child from one sport to the next sport to the next sport to the next sport to the next sport, and they know nothing of ministry in the church. It didn't matter how old they were. Once they were trained, they began to minister in music. We need more young people learning to play musical instruments for the glory of God. David was intensely passionate about music and worship. He even organized the musicians for the temple being built after his death. Later, when his son Solomon dedicated the temple, he arranged for the trumpets and singers to lift up their voices and praises and thanksgiving together with cymbals and other instruments. And when they did this in one accord, when you read that story, the glory of God filled that newly dedicated temple. And they got to the point where the priest, the people couldn't even stand because God's presence and power was so strong. They were just laid out. I mean, just, just they couldn't even stand because the power of God was so strong. What paved the way for that to happen. It was musicians, singers, worshipers, people that, that got that ready. God responded to their worship and music. And yet today, the Bible is filled with commands for us to offer praise and worship through music to him. 
We are called to come before his presence with singing. The 100th Psalm says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Listen, what we do here, this is not just a, co- a tradition, a coincidence, because uh, we just don't know however any, uh, I don't know what else to do, so I'm kind of stuck in the monotony of just always doing it this way. That is not the case. When we say, hey, we're going to get up, and we are going to sing before preaching, because when we, the Bible says, come into his presence with, with singing. As I begin to sing unto him, there's something that I'm offering the worship that is due his name. That actually begins to prepare my my heart, in my mind, if I got up and said, I'm starting with preaching this Sunday and we're going to go to worship later, you know what you would find? It would, I mean, some of you would, would just absolutely freak out because I would change the norm. <laughs> but you'd be trying to receive a word before your heart and mind is even receptive and ready to receive that word. When I begin to, when we begin to praise and to worship and to, and to lift the name of Jesus, there's a reason why sometimes, I wish it wasn't this way, but if you ask the praise team, and if they were honest, don't look at them because they don't want to, you know, don't want to judge anybody or be harsh, but if you ask them, hey, do y'all notice a difference between song one and song four in the congregation? I guarantee you they would say yes. And they would all wish that song one was exactly like song four. Is that because they always build it where the fourth song is always the best song? No, sometimes number one is the best song. But we just didn't walk through the doors ready. There's something about our hearts and minds just starting to zero in on what God wants to do. And that by that fourth song, all of a sudden we're a little bit more receptive. Our hearts are a little bit more open. And then boom, preaching comes. The word goes forward and hearts and minds are ready to respond. That's why we do what we do. And so it says, come before his presence with singing. Verse 3, know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. If you're looking for something to worship, it's almost like he started to just lay it out a little bit more. Hey, come to pour his presence with singing. I'm talking about worship here. If you don't know why you're worshiping, you need to remember verse 3. The Lord, he's God. He made us, not we ourselves. We're his people, the sheep of his pasture. So guess what? Because of that, I'm going to enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his court with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And another scripture, it says that we bless the Lord by lifting up holy hands. Are you kidding me that I can actually bless the God of the world, the creator of this universe by doing something this easy? If that's the case, then why do we ever walk into a service and not lift our hands? Why don't we pause right now? And even if you say, I never lift my hands in church, why don't you just lift both your hands right now and just begin to say, God, if this blesses you, then please accept this right now. I offer this to you as praise and worship. I'm not doing it out of tradition. I'm not even doing it because that preacher's up there screaming for me to do it. I'm doing it because because I love you, because I want to worship you, Jesus. 
And it's not called to sing just alone. Look at the very last psalm, the 150th psalm. You probably may even have heard this before. But it's the very last psalm in the book of Psalms. It says, praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Guess where that is? That's everywhere. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Oh, I'll just invite you, okay? If you if you start to feel God, feel free to stand and praise him. You don't have to wait. I'm going to keep reading and your praise won't distract me, okay? It says praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him on the high sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord Oh, you can stay standing. This doesn't sound like a quiet or a somber experience. When I read scriptures like that, people that say, you just need to be quiet. You need to be silent in the church. Listen, there are other churches like that, and you can go there. This church is not one of those churches. People who like quiet and somber usually don't stick around here, and there's not much I can do about it, because one of us is going to change, and it's not going to be me. And so this this is an incredible call to worship that God gives us, a worship on various instruments based on everything that we've looked at today, going into the presence of the Lord. I'm about done. Just stay tuned here. Everything I read about going into the presence of the Lord, it was not meant to be a somber time of silence. Elisha called for a harp. Saul called for a musician. David called for 4,000 musicians, including 288 highly trained and skilled in song. If you said, David, I like things a little more quiet. David had been like, uh, we got 288 people, and I'm fixing to make it loud. Why? Because Psalm 150 does not say, after you feel the Spirit of God move, then start praising him. We got to move to a maturity in the spirit that goes beyond that. Well, they just didn't sing my song today. It was a little bit loud. You know, I thought the praise singers were a little quiet. Keyboard was a little loud. My favorite drummer wasn't on. They, you know, it just seemed like a, it just, I didn't really feel it today. Uh, it was like it was lacking. I, I didn't really get anything out of it. Well, here's the thing. Maybe worship isn't something you're meant to get something out of. Maybe I'm supposed to be giving something in. If I only worship when I feel like worshiping, it's not worship. I worship all the time. Why? Because he's worthy and deserving of my praise and worship. So even when I feel nothing at all, when I'm tired, when I'm sick, I can still say, God, 
Right now, I don't feel like worshiping you, but you are worthy and deserving. And so for that, I lift my voice. I lift my hands. Psalm 150 says, if you have breath, somebody look at your neighbor next to you and make sure he's still breathing. His heart's beating. I feel it. He's breathing. So he is called to worship God. Through the brick of revelation, we can read about music being played in worship. I believe eternity is going to be filled with worship. But if we only, if we want to truly have a mindset and attitude of worship, if we want to be a person after God's own heart like David, we got to follow what John says when he writes Revelation 4.10. The 24 elders fell down and worshiped the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they that laid their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O oh Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power and praise. Listen, for true worship to take place, the first thing that we have to do is lay our own crowns before the throne. In other words, worship involves putting self in proper place. If you want to truly be a worshiper and respond at this altar in just a moment in worship, you might say, I got things to do. I don't want to go up there. I'm not really interested in that. Listen, there's a problem there because I am not putting self in proper place. If I really want to worship him, it's taking my throne, my crown off and throwing it at the throne and saying, God, I know that in this life I might hold this position, that position. People might respect me here. I might have this. But right now when I come into your presence, everything I am, everything I want to be bows before your throne because you are the great I am. I want to lay my own accolades. I want to lay my own situations, my own worries. And so they're already here. I invited this entire praise team back up here. People who are trained in song. People who have practiced. People who practice again this coming Tuesday night. Trained musicians and singers. People who don't take this lightly. But they realize that they are ordained by God. You might think you just joined a praise team. And you just like to sing. But God has looked at you, Brittany. And he has said, she is ordained by me to play the stringed instrument she's ordained by me he is ordained by me to play that saxophone she's ordained by me to hit the high sounding cymbals that that's what god looks at these people and he says they have been ordained by by me to look and to lead the church into spiritual battle to go into the presence of the lord to prepare us for heaven itself so in my prayer this morning as i wrap this up and i don't normally have you stand this long i'm sorry but in this my prayer this morning i actually asked god for something specific i said god as i walked around this building and the sun was shining through that that window and i was here by myself in the silence worshiping god he 
even before the music started. But I was anticipating this message in the move of God's spirit. And I said, God, would you grant me a request this morning? I said, Lord, would you please allow the angels to worship with us this morning at the end of this service? God, he created the angels to worship him. And I just believe that we will not only have a divine visitation by God himself, but I said, Lord, let an angelic host just begin to surround this building and begin to worship you right along with us because that's how it's going to be in eternity. So today, as this entire church is invited right now to approach this altar, I would ask our praise team to begin to sing and play as unto the Lord and prepare us for where we are going. The rest of us are going to respond right now by throwing our own crowns and problems and accolades at the feet of Jesus and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I exalt you, Jesus. I place myself before you, Lord God.
Victoria. 